0: You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermenting. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before it's last call. Jamie Brooks had no desire to be in the wine business. It was the passing of her brother Jimmy, the winemaker Brooks, at a young age, and a community so loving and committed to Jimmy's legacy... That she couldn't leave. Okay, so I am sitting here with Janie Brooks and uh, of Brooks Winery, and uh, I just found out last second that. Uh, uh, the Brooks Wines were at the uh, White House dinner for Obama. So how cool is that, Janie?
1: It was pretty awesome. Yeah. It was um, Marcus Samuelson was the chef, and he had his sommelier in Chicago pick the wines. And so he wanted, like, small family-owned, lesser-known regions, so mm-hmm. no Napa right <clears throat> wineries, and picked us. So. so
0: did Obama, like, show his hand what was his favorite wine?
1: Um, no, but Mm. he did have a, there is clippings of him drinking it, actually drinking it.
0: Oh, cool. Well, I need those.
1: Yeah. It was also, (laughs) it was the party crasher dinner. Remember when that couple from Virginia crashed the White House dinner? Oh, right. Yeah. And it was
0: a big, uh, brouhaha about uh, what, what the hell kind of security is going on here?
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly.
0: That's pretty, that's a pretty cool story. Uh, so, uh, I'm gonna give people a little bit of a backdrop about, uh, your brother. Uh, so in the early 2000s, uh, certainly Oregon's wine country's brightest star was your brother, Jimmy. Um, he was described as, uh, a leprechaun trapped in the body of a grizzly bear, uh, strapping wicked sense of humor. Um, his enthusiasm was so infectious that he inspired a lot of organ vintners uh, to join him in producing Riesling, which you don't see a lot of, which he, I think, single-handedly kind of resurrected this grape that we all love and is thriving now, uh, and, and, and inspired people to practice biodynamic farming and winemaking, right? Um, and yeah. some, of those, some of those Riesling vines are 60-, 70-year-old Riesling vines. Um, that was his mission, right? Riesling,
1: It was to restore the reputation of dry riesling, in particular in Oregon. And when he came into the industry, a lot of growers were having a hard time. It's A, it's not an easy grape to grow, but they were also having a hard time selling it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them were grafting it for just something easier, like Pinot Noir or Pinot Gris. And so he went on a mission to go find any Riesling that was left planted in the Willamette Valley, and we're fortunate because we have some of the oldest vines and access to them still.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we had the wines last night, and they're brilliant. And you do a sparkling, uh, which is also spectacular. And, of course, you make some Pinot and Chard and some other very cool varietals. Muscat (laughs) we had last night, Pinot Blanc.
1: No Chardonnay at Brooks.
0: No Chardonnay. No Chardonnay. There's no Chardonnay zone. I like that. <laughs> uh, so then your, your brother, uh, he worked at uh, Maisara, Momontazi's uh, uh, great wine, uh, Willa Kenzie, and then he starts his own brand. mm mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Uh, fledgling brand starting out in 2003? Uh,
1: 1998 is when he started. Okay. Yep.
0: Okay. So, uh, and he starts uh, inspiring other people. To uh, do this kind of uh, you know, great farming practices and biodynamic and all the stuff, and uh, he's well on his way and uh, inspires many. And then uh, it's unfortunate you get this phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, we could talk about that just for a, a few minutes. I know it's a, it's a tough conversation to have, but uh, you had no intention of getting in the wine business. Let's no. start there. No. Zero. Zero. Uh, you drank wine with your friends, maybe.
1: Yeah, and I, I drank that Chardonnay stuff. <laughs> That's how much I knew about wine. I was drinking buttery oaky Chardonnay from California. Yeah.
0: And, and and so was Jimmy have disdain for this? He's just like, that's cool. She's at least drinking wine. I'll get her on the Riesling train soon. Were you that tight? Uh
1: I I had no interest. Zero. 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 Yeah.
0: Which is absolutely crazy. in here now you own Brooks and um, but let's let's so so you get the phone call, your brother um He passes at a very young age.
1: Yeah. He was Uh, 38 years old. He was uh, making coffee on a Saturday morning and had an aortic dissection. So they think it probably lasted a minute. Is that genetic? Um, Aneurysms are, yes.
0: Wow. Yes. Okay. Um, So you're sitting home and you get this phone call and you're just, holy fuck. Your world has been torn apart. Um, It's the Joan Didion thing, you know, and the you know flip of a dime your life changes and it's never the same
1: yeah and you know it right. was even more impactful for me as we had lost our parents in 2000 right so he was the only immediate family member that i had left wow yeah
0: um and so he is he's married and he has a son mhm um and uh so you fly to Oregon as quickly as you can to get there and what's it, what's it like that day at the winery because you have No wine experience, certainly not on the business side or the other side. Right, right. Um, And what's that like?
1: Yeah, you know, I showed up at his house, and there were about 40 or 50 people at his house, including his um, ex-wife, actually, and son, which they were the only people I knew. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his ex-wife looked at me very quickly and said, can you deal with the wine stuff, and I'll just be a mother to— our son, Pascal, who was eight years old at the time when Jimmy passed away. And and then I got sat down by a whole group of people who I didn't know, and it turns out they were all winemakers in the Willamette Valley and dear friends of Jimmy's. And they had figured out that day who he was buying fruit from because it was just a couple weeks before harvest right. and offered to take the fruit and make the wine for free that year on our behalf so that we could kind of make a decision about what we were going to do with the brand.
0: That's uh, – I can't imagine – being that situation, I think you called them this group, this cadre of angels, that uh, kind of came in because uh, very easily they could have been opportunists and said, you know, I'll take the fruit and I'll put it in my blend and yeah, I'm sorry. And um, and actually, you would have probably said, yeah, cool, because I really don't want to do this. This isn't my business.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so it was really their vision. Because they were so excited about what Jimmy was doing with Riesling and biodynamic farming. And even his style of Pinot Noir, you know, it it really had changed up there from the original styles in the 60s and 70s of -hmm. being kind of high acid, bright, Mm -hmm. um, earthier in style. There was a lot of heavy-handedness that had come up from California in the 90s. And we're starting to change Oregon Pinot Noir. And he really wanted to go back to that original style of Pinot, too.
0: Right. Um, So they make the first vintage um, but now you have to sell it. And uh, <laughs> do you have a business background? I mean, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this idea. Well, you know, like, I don't know how many it was a thousand cases at that point.
1: Twenty five hundred.
0: Twenty five hundred cases. So mm-hmm. now, great. They're all bottled. And <laughs> and you have the label. Is it the same label? Yep, the Same, same label? label. And now you're like, who do I turn to? How do I distribute? How do I get an import? How do I sell this? Who's doing my books?
1: Yeah, all, like all, all of those things, so, right?
0: <laughs> I must have threw you into this crazy tailspin.
1: It did, um, you know, and even just little things like trying to figure out people's passwords on their computer to even access yeah. any of that information. But, right. you know, he had a pretty good network of distribution at that point okay, um, that I got to, you know, inherit by mm-hmm. talking to all of those people. And, and they taught me a lot about why the wines were different, why the wines were special, um, how we should continue, and— the um, I do have a business background. I have an accounting degree.
0: Okay. And there you go. That helps. Sir.
1: I ran a startup from, for five years and did all the sales, marketing, and operations and financial stuff. So I had some transferable right. skills to the wine industry. And, you know, the business side of wine is not that sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Selling it is the hard part. Yeah. As you know.
0: <laughs> as you know, because <laughs> T. Edward represents the wine, and we love those wines. And they're well-received, uh, you know. T. Edward, Obama, we're all kind of in that same pantheon. Yeah. <laughs> of, <laughs> um, so what was the most difficult part for you? To I mean, so let me ask you first, was there a point you're like, okay, I'm just going to set this up and I'm going to sell this? Because his legacy, I mean, his his like, his like passion is there in the ground, in the bottle, in the glass. And uh, were you torn or were you first going, nope, I'm going to set it up and we're going to sell it and i are going to be done?
1: You know what? I I wasn't torn. I didn't know what we were going to do. You know the wines, although they were made by a bunch of different winemakers, the blends were actually finished by Chris Williams, who's our winemaker now, who was Mm -hmm. Jimmy's assistant winemaker. Right. In the spring, and that was in the spring of two thousand five, and he actually approached me and said, "Hey, if you ever wanted to continue the brand, I would come be your winemaker." And I knew what Jimmy was doing better than anybody else, and. For me, Brooks is my maiden name. Um, Mm -hmm. I mentioned we had lost all of our family, so I had I kind of wanted to continue it on. You know, we're from Oregon, born and raised, and even though I live in California, it took me back to Oregon, connected me back with not only his friends but a lot of my friends from growing up, my parents' friends. So having the brand name be a part of it made a big difference for me.
0: Mm -hmm. And that was that, and that community that just kind of embraced you and made that first. Vintage. I mean, you had to. It made you feel like maybe you shouldn't leave.
1: Oh, I I was shocked by their generosity and support because you know I came from competitive healthcare. Nobody helped you in healthcare. Right. Um, It's
0: all about getting the best rates.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly.
0: Um. So. So now you're a B Corp. Which uh, explain to people what a B Corp is because you're certified organic for all your state fruit. Um. And and uh,
1: biodynamic. And
0: biodynamic. So what is is a B Corp?
1: So a B Corp is, it is a rigorous certification to go through, but it basically entitles a business to say that you care as much about all of your stakeholders. So whether those are your employees, your suppliers, your community, your environment, you care about those things as much as your shareholders. Mm -hmm. So it's about, you know, using your business as a platform for good. Across a lot of other areas and not just for profit,
0: it's pretty rigorous. They go into your books and <laughs> who's, who you're farming with and I mean a- everything that's why it's so hard to get. There's not a lot of companies like um, the uh, Patagonia yeah. uh, there's a couple like uh, big corporations like that that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty thing uh, great thing to have.
1: Yeah, we uh, just went through our recertification and it was it's awesome because it makes you a better business. Right when you go through it and you're looking at the ratio of your highest paid employee to your lowest paid employee, or thinking about living wage, or you know what your your suppliers are they are they female owned? Are they minority owned? How local are they to you? It, it really takes you through a great process.
0: It's, it's a great way to um, kind of uh, be connected to the community in a more powerful mm-hmm. way, right? Um, and and you're you know you're in the backyard of Portland, which is basically uh uh mad max uh, right now it's just crazy
1: yes it's
0: still such civil unrest and fires and all that kind of stuff like um so i uh, speaking of that you had to just deal with the fires in 20 mm-hmm. uh so like that was just a total shitstorm we had covid and you had fires where the smoke blew inland and just sat on top of these vineyards.
1: Yeah. For five to seven days, we were about like four to 600 off the AQI index. Like, air quality was awful.
0: Like, you practically had to have a gas mask on.
1: You could. You were not allowed to go outside.
0: And, and of course, you can't really make the wine. Some people made some 20s. um, But, you know, I always tell people when you are a winemaker and you lose a vintage – um, just so they understand what that's like. It's like, think about working the whole year and not making a penny. Right. And still having to pay.
1: Right, right. <laughs> Take care of your debt. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we took care of all of our growers, um, but we knew our fruit was going to be impacted. Like, there was no question, and we didn't know to what degree, but because we are biodynamic in the cellar, we can't use other chemicals and processes, and we don't even know how, because we've never done that. And I just felt that it would have put my winemaking team in a position where they couldn't succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and we're all human beings at the end of the day and to be asked to do your job and not be able to do it well out of your control, I didn't think would be a good idea. Then and also have everybody just not be proud of what was in the bottle. And once you do that, you lose a lot of loyalty.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, anyone uh, for a lot of people that use this science and, uh, to to kind of get rid of that that smoke taint, uh, it's been proven it just comes back. So yeah. you bottle it and you're like, hey, it's great. And then six months later, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. And then your name's on the bottle, and as you mentioned, there goes your reputation. Yeah. Uh, um, but um, so what uh, what's it like now post COVID? Are the tasting rooms open and thr- and people are? I imagine people are just dying to get the hell out of Portland to come up and uh, do wine tasting. So have you seen a huge bump uh, in the tasting room?
1: You know, we have. I mean, it's been great. We've been full for whatever seating we've had capacity of throughout COVID, as long as we've been open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been great. We we did move to buy reservation, and a lot of wineries did, and that's really that's brought the Portland people back because right. we used to be so busy. People would drive out there for an hour and then not be able to get in. Wow. So now people, yeah. you know the. The the local people aren't as excited about reservations because they can't be spontaneous. But the people that do make the investment of driving out to Willamette Valley love it.
0: But it's great to see business back, right? Oh yeah, I, yeah. I mean that, that's fantastic. So let's talk about Pascal. So mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy's son, um, he's eight years old when his dad passes. What's uh, what's his life look like for the next till he's in high school?
1: You know, his mom um, decided to move. She got a job in Pennsylvania, so they moved from Oregon after a couple of years, um, and we supported that because she really didn't have a lot of happy memories in Oregon. She's from Poland originally, um, and so she got a job in Pennsylvania, so she took Pascal to Pennsylvania, and that's where he went to junior high and high school.
0: Okay,
1: Um, Came back to college on the West Coast about an hour from where I live, so that was great.
0: Made you very happy.
1: (laughs) Spent every summer with me. Um, And my kids, so my kids are just a little bit younger than him. So they're all like siblings. So we spent every summer, most of them in Oregon, together.
0: I I think it's uh, ironic now that he is, uh, well, he probably reminds you of your brother a lot, right? Mm -hmm. What's the biggest similarities they have?
1: Well, they're (laughs) <laughs> their mannerisms and they look a lot alike. Yeah. Um, but this whole concept of graduating from college and not knowing what you're going to do with your life and moving to Europe and that's what Pascal did too.
0: Right. That's um, crazy. Yeah.
1: And so he's been living in France, working harvest, just like his dad did.
0: It's crazy how their lives are mirroring each other. Mm-hmm. And he's at Ostertag, mm-hmm. which is a uh, biodynamic, uh, organically farmed, environmentally conscious winery. Mm-hmm. Um, and the insane thing is that uh, the kid Andre, I think, from uh, Ostertag, left his family and came back to take his family business over. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you feel like, uh, does he feel like his destiny is calling?
1: Yeah, I think I think he does. Yeah, it's Artur, who's the, the oh. son of okay. Ostertag. And okay. apparently they sit around and talk about what their responsibility is to take over their parents' passions and yet they're both kind of doing it. So.
0: <laughs> right. Have you been uh to Alsace to visit?
1: Um I have but not there. Um and not while Pascal was working there.
0: And and do you think he he's just putting off the inevitable or he's he's really just trying to get as much experience under his belt as possible?
1: You know, I think originally he was just kind of buying time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now he plans to come back in the next three to four years. And now he does want to take full advantage of being over there. So he wants to go to winemaking school in France. Um, he's actually working on a farm for a restaurant. So he's he's kind of kept the food, wine, farming connection the whole time he's been over there, which are all very transferable skills to bring back
0: to Brooks. Right. Um, it's a PR's dream uh, to write this story that uh, the prodigal son has returned. And um, what do you think he would do differently in the winery that Chris isn't doing? Um, do you see anything that, like, this is, or does he talk to you about it? Do you talk wine business with him?
1: We do, yes. Yeah. He knows okay. everything that happens at Brooks. He's, like, my confidant right. from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the biggest realizations he had, because he did come work Harvest for us at Brooks before he went to Europe. And then being in Europe and working three different harvests, the whole connection to the vineyard and then to production is something that like we don't necessarily get at Brooks. You know, We have somebody that goes out and oversees all the vineyards, but doing a lot of that handwork, right. they do that in Europe. And so I feel like he's going to want to be more involved on the vineyard side as yeah. well as production, but more vineyard farming – and taking the vines through the annual growth
0: process. Well, I think what's cool is also you have Riesling and Pinot Blanc and Muscat. And Osetac has Riesling, Gewurztraminer, <laughs> <and> Muscat. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is just uh, the, just kind of the common uh, ground on that is pretty funny. So when he does come back, uh, does he give you advice now?
1: Um, not advice, but he definitely shares his opinion with me. Mm-hmm. Um, very supportive for the most part of what I do. He's very, um, you know, having worked a harvest at Brooks, he's very observant, mm-hmm. yeah. and and so he's he's a smart kid. Yeah, he's a smart kid.
0: Would you? Could you imagine if this didn't happen? Which I'm sure you'd like if it didn't happen. But could you imagine now your life without this kind of, uh, you know, having a winery and uh, being? I mean, you're connected to so many more people, like we just mentioned Obama, but then there's people in Europe and all over the world that drink Brooks, right? Could you imagine your life without these connections now?
1: No, and I love it, and that's one of the reasons I've continued to do it for so long. I mean, it's been 17 years that I've volunteered my time.
0: (laughs) Volunteered, (laughs) yes.
1: (laughs) I've volunteered my time to run this wine, but I really do love it, and I love, you know, not coming from the wine industry, I feel like the wine industry tends to be very siloed. In the way that they operate, and the way they market, and so I've just found so many fun opportunities to kind of make a statement in the industry of, of what, how we use our winery, yeah. um, especially when it comes to the environmental and B Corp, and we're members of a Ecology and 1% for the Planet, so we're donating revenues back for farming, appropriate right. farming.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and with, do you see any big changes coming up at Brooks, or...? Um, I mean, you you have this very kind of classic house, but you have these great varietals.
1: Yeah. No, I don't, I don't see a lot of changes. You know, we've actually dialed back production mm-hmm. um, because Chris and I really, you know, we love what we do, but we also want to just be able to continue to fine-tune and tweak and improve. Um, and we were talking last night about, you know, we don't do a lot of experimentation because we were on this growth path for so long. And now that we're finally— at levels that he's really happy producing, I'm really happy selling. I expect there to be um, a deeper understanding and improvements in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. So every part of production, um, you know, we're getting, we're trying to get more environmental on our production stuff. You know, we stopped using capsules. We switched corks. um, So we're trying to do a lot of exciting things that will just continue to kind of tweak the quality of the wines.
0: And, and, uh, I don't know how many producers there are now, but it has certainly oh. quadrupled in the last decade, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's I mean, over 700 in Oregon now.
0: That's kind of crazy. Um, and you're still in touch with all the the original gang? Oh, yes. That kind of helped? Uh, yes. Do you do dinners uh, commemorating your, your brother and uh, – um, have a foundation, or
1: yeah, you know, almost all of them, especially his closest friends. You know, one of them, Tad Seestat, who run, used to run Ransom mm-hmm. Wine and Spirits. He just went over to Europe and took Pascal to um, Grenada, Spain, and went on a little a guys' trip. Which
0: oh, nice. Yeah,
1: I mean, they really we call him the Drunkles, um, <laughs> but they all really, you know, take care of Pascal.
0: That's so sweet. How old is Pascal now? He's 26. 26. Okay. So he's he's uh, getting up there. So does he have a plan after Ostertag? Is he going to work there and then try to like go to wine school, but are there other wineries that he would love to work at before he comes back? Does he want to go to Laura Valley or
1: He hasn't mentioned it. I think he's pretty happy mm-hmm. at Ostertag and I think it's a great fit. It was, you know, it was really sweet the year that he called me is like I'm going to go work for this winery. Have you ever heard of Domain Ostertag? And I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, how did you score that job? Like, yeah. pretty exciting. And he did that all on his own,
0: right? So, and uh, it's amazing because you're, you're obviously you're married. So your husband was thrown into the mix too. So, how did he fare through all of this uh, turmoil? And
1: he's a very supportive man.
0: That's cool. He
1: he swears that he told me the day that I left, the day that Jimmy died. Don't even think about it. <laughs>
0: Oh, <laughs> <about> to, <laughs> which I'm like, I don't remember
1: him saying that, obviously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but he's very supportive.
0: And now he loves the wine world as well? Or? I
1: even have him drinking Riesling. You wow. know, I've watched him through this progression of the big Napa cab guy right. into Pinot Noir, and he actually likes aged Riesling.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah I have. I, I do too. We had a bottle of 2012. Canole last mm-hmm. night. Yes, that we was did. delicious. Yes, at, it was at Gotham. Uh, what are some of your favorite pairings with your wines that you like? You like, know,
1: I I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a big I'm a big seafood fan, especially when it comes to our whites. Right. Um. But I also, you know, Chris has gotten me into this habit of, you know, steaks and aged riesling. You know, you pretty much. Oh,
0: that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. I, I could see that.
1: With the acid and just cutting through the fat, it's delicious. Mm -hmm.
0: And and so what's your your favorite part of the job as the owner? Is it traveling? Traveling gets old. It's a grind. Um, Being out every night eating. Everyone thinks it's the best life in the world until you're on your, like, ninth night of dinners and uh, drinking wine. You're like, I'd love a salad and just go home bed, go to bed early. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And this
1: is my first trip since COVID, so – trying to keep that balance right um you know my favorite part is trying to make brooks be the very best of of everything right i want to be the best employer i want to be doing the best for the planet you know really trying to make statements that you don't see often in the wine industry that's the stuff that i i really love
0: that's a that's a powerful legacy um and i just from Anytime I mention your wine, I'm surprised. The six degrees of separation. People are like, oh my god, I love those wines, or oh my god, I love Janie, or oh my god, I've heard about that story. Um, mm-hmm. But the story actually got made into a documentary, did it not?
1: Yes, American Wine Story. Right. It's on Amazon Prime.
0: Right. Um, so people should should check that out. Right.
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: Um. Well, that's cool. So let's uh. Well, give us uh, your favorite restaurants that you love to visit if you, when you're here in New York.
1: Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Name two. I'll leave too many out. (laughs) Okay,
0: so give us two. It would be under my direction. I said name two. Name two. Okay.
1: (laughs) Cork Buzz is one of my favorite places. Okay. Um, And, you know, for me, it often goes back to the people, right? It's the people that run it. It's the people that own it. It's the people that you see when you're there. Right. That's what makes the place um, so often. I'm excited tonight to go to Contento.
0: Yes, Yannick's Place. Yes. Uh, I had him on the podcast. Man, that guy's a saint. So
1: I'm uh, going gonna, gonna to go ahead right now and say that's one of my favorites.
0: Okay, there you go. Good, good enough. Yeah. So I always ask this question. Uh, so uh, you, you hear a voice in the middle of the night, it's God speaking to you, and he says, Janie, you've done an amazing job trying to save the planet and bring joy to everyone, uh, but you're going to leave, so I'm going to give you a chance to have your last meal, your last drink, and your last piece of music.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot you told me that last night. <laughs> well, my last piece of music I would have to say is going to be Frank Sinatra.
0: Okay, what song?
1: Oh, maybe New York. <laughs> oh, New York. Yeah, okay, all right. Okay, um, I've been listening to a lot of that yeah. lately. I love Sinatra. Yeah. Um, I would have to say probably a Riesling.
0: Okay.
1: Um, one made by my brother.
0: Uh, so I have yep. some
1: 98, some 99, some 2000 through 2003, so a little little bit. Wow, okay. Um, and every time I've had it, they've still been amazing.
0: Yeah, Riesling ages. Yeah, wow.
1: yeah. Um, and I think I would have to go rack a lamb. Wow. I, I, you know, I'm not sure that's going to work with the Riesling, but it all depends on the sauce that I put on top of the lamb, right? Absolutely. And, and the herbs, so...
0: And it's your last night, so you get to do whatever, do whatever you whatever want. I do whatever I want. <laughs> right. um, so if people want to find you, mm-hmm. uh, give us your Instagram, your website, and uh, people should look for that documentary for sure.
1: Yeah, so brookswinery.com is our um, sorry brookswine.com is our website. Mm-hmm. And then brookswinery is our Instagram handle on Facebook.
0: Okay, cool. Yep. Well, thank you. I'm happy you're in New York, and thank you for being on DOTJ Podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: All right. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar.